0: This is Fresh Air. I'm Terry Gross. Today we pay tribute to Bert Bachrach. He died last Wednesday at age 94. His name became synonymous with the craft of songwriting at its most elegant and imperiled, wrote music critic Francis Davis in The Atlantic. Full disclosure, Francis is my husband. Bacharach, along with his longtime collaborator, lyricist Hal David, wrote many hits in the 60s and early 70s, including Make It Easy on Yourself, I Just Don't Know What to Do With Myself, Only Love Can Break a Heart, Don't Make Me Over, Anyone Who Had a Heart, Wishing and Hoping, and Always Something There to Remind Me. Here's some more Bacharach and David songs.
1: Promises, promises, I'm all through with promises, promises now I don't know how I got the nerve to walk out If I shout, remember
2: Raindrops keep falling on my head And just like the guy whose feet are too big for his bed Nothing seems to fit So remember, if you're untrue
1: Disguise What's it all about, Alfie? Is it just for the moment we live? What's it all about when you sort it out, Alfie?
0: In that medley, we heard Dionne Warwick, BJ Thomas, The Stylistics, Jackie DeShannon, Tom Jones, Dusty Springfield, and more Dionne Warwick. All those songs are written with lyricist Hal David. Backrack was also known for his arrangements and his signature use of trumpet to accentuate his syncopations and shifting time signatures. We're going to listen to two of my interviews with Backrack. We'll start with the one I recorded in 2010 with Backrack and Hal David when their musical "Promises, Promises" was revived on Broadway. Neil Simon wrote the book for the show, adapting it from the Billy Wilder movie "The Apartment." The revival starred Sean Hayes and Kristen Chenoweth. Bert Backrack, Hal David, welcome to Fresh Air. You know, it's such an honor to talk with you together. I was always hoping for a chance this would happen, and I'm grateful that <laughs> that it has. Um, let's talk about some of the songs you wrote for the show. Let's start with the title song, Promises, Promises, which Jerry Orbach sang in the original production. So let's start by hearing his performance of Promises, Promises. Promises.
2: I'm all through with promises, promises now, I don't know how. Promises end I won't pretend That what was wrong Can be right Every night I'll sleep now No more lies Things that I promised myself Fell apart But I found my heart Oh, promises Their kind of promises Take all the joy my time
0: This is Jerry Orbach in the original cast recording of Promises, Promises.
3: Jerry Orbach, he was wonderful in the show. I mean, uh, but I remember with Jerry Orbach coming into New York when I came into New York and would come to see the show maybe after he'd been playing three months, and I'd go backstage and see the cast, and Jerry Orbach would say to me, "Man, if I had to sing this song again one more you know, because." <laughs> It's granted, it is a very notey, in other words, it's not an easy song to sing. My motivation was the urgency that makes it work dramatically, or you think it's going to work dramatically, by the anger that comes through in that many notes and that many words. But uh, Jerry, after three months, was saying, why do you have to make it so difficult? Night after night, he's up there doing promises, bro.
0: So, um, Bert Backrack, you, you said it's so noty because it has to show anger. Well, the instruments, the orchestra is kind of like churning behind <laughs> behind the singer. Yeah. Uh, and it's just like, there's such a kind of um, hyperactive energy going on there. And this, the time signature keeps changing. It changes like 20 right. times during the song. So, it's it just kind of like frenetic sounding and, and disorienting in a way. It's wonderful. Um, did you consciously say when you sat down to write the song, it needs twenty different time no, no. signature changes?
3: I've never done anything like intentionally. When I write it out, I realize, hey, that's cha- you've got to change time signature in this bar, time signature in this bar. So it's not deliberate. I mean, that, that's the main thing. It can drive musicians crazy, you know, until they stop counting and just hear and feel the music. I think it's kind of selfish on my part. I just write it. So as far as your observation about the churning and the orchestra, yeah. So much of what I've written, whether it's from the show or whenever, it's almost like they come out of the same bed, you know? It's not just piano and voice. It's like where the drums will be playing, where the strings come in. They are made and created about the same time as the song is being written.
0: So you hear that all in your head as you're writing the song. You hear the percussion, you hear the trumpet. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, that leads me to, to the final version I want to play of Promises, Promises. And that's the one that was the really big hit, Dionne Warwick's version. Did you know at the start that you would ask her to do this song? She had already well, had hits with some of your songs.
3: Well, she was an extraordinary vocalist and a great vehicle for what we would write. And the more that we would write... For Dion, the more we would see where we could go with her, the challenges that we could do.
4: Dion is a great musician and has a great feel for the songs we wrote. And also
3: how, you know, by having that kind of mobility, I mean, you take a song like Promises, Promises, in somebody else's hands it could sound maybe labored or under duress being sung, Dion just kind of floated through it like effortlessly. And that was one of the things that she had.
0: She's incredible. Let's 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 hear her recording of Promises Promises.
1: Promises, promises, I'm up through with promises, promises now. I don't know.
0: Things I like yeah. about that recording—it's so vivid, <laughs> and I just love love all the orchestral things going on in the background. And like, is it is it kettle drum or timpani that you're Timp, using?
3: yeah timpani? orchestra bells, yeah. I,
0: know, I just love hearing all of that. So that's all on your mind as you're as as, as you're writing the song. And yeah, I think it's about. actually more vivid on the Dion Warwick recording than in the Broadway cast recording.
3: Well, it's also slower. That surprised me when you yeah. started is, to play yeah. it. I uh-huh. said, "Wow, yeah <laughs> wow, I must have taken." taking a slow pill or something before we record that. But <laughs> I think also I was thinking probably how we were thinking, like commercially, it, it what but, would be the easier one to grasp would be maybe at a, a little more slow, measured tempo.
4: Well, whatever it was, it, it is slow, no question about it. But she she is smooth, and yet she's got all the music and all the lines in the songs She's really telling it to us. Yeah.
0: Um, Let's talk about uh, the other really big hit from the show, I'll Never Fall in Love Again. There's a great story behind the song. So uh, whichever one of you wants to start telling it, go ahead.
4: Well, when Bert was hospitalized with pneumonia... It was like
3: uh, maybe three days after we opened in too. And we had good reviews in Boston. Yeah. We thought we had a
4: hit. We we thought we had a hit, but but there was one spot in the show... We had a song called Wouldn't That Be a Stroke of Luck or something similar to that. Yeah, and That's a good it, title, huh? Yeah, <laughs> but we threw it out. <laughs> that song didn't work. Everybody liked the song, but the, the audience didn't like the song. And while Bert was in the hospital, I started writing lyrics for that song. You know, the famous lines, what do you get when you kiss a girl? You get enough germs to catch pneumonia after you do She'll never phone you. I don't recall thinking that Bert was in the hospital and had pneumonia, but obviously there was some subconscious thing about it because that's what I wrote.
0: Okay, so we have to hear the song now. (laughs) So this is I'll Never Fall in Love Again, a.k.a. the pneumonia song. And uh, why don't we hear Dionne Warwick singing it? We're remembering composer Burt Bachrach, who died last Wednesday at the age of 94. We'll hear more of my 2010 interview with Bachrach and his songwriting partner, the late lyricist Hal David, after a break. This is Fresh Air. We're remembering composer Burt Bachrach, who died last Wednesday. Let's get back to my 2010 interview with Bachrach and his longtime lyricist Hal David. So, how did you get a sense that you should collaborate with each other? I mean, what did you know about each other's work? What attracted you to each other musically?
3: Well, Hal had been doing it longer than me, and kind of successfully, he'd had hits. And you know, it was an interesting time in the Brill Building, the famous Brill Building. There were seven floors of music publishers, you know, where you could go and play a song for one publisher, and then he said, I don't like it, and then you go down the hall and play it for another. And uh, that in itself was a very
0: interesting time you both you wrote so many hits together. At what point did you break up and and why, why did you stop writing together?
3: Well, it's a long story yeah i think I think we got involved with a motion picture that probably never should have been made. Uh, Making a motion picture, a movie musical, with new songs, it's not like you can go to Boston and try it out. The film is shot, and the idea that you can replace a song and reshoot the scene and the sequence, the picture was called Lost Horizon, and it presented its own set of problems. And I must say that I wrote the score, the background score, as well as writing the Songs with Hal. Songs sounded good. I mean, they still sound good to yeah. me.
4: The score, I, I think, is a very good piece of work. But the movie just didn't work.
0: So the film was bad. The songs were good. How did that break up your relationship?
4: I didn't want to write anymore, period.
0: Really? Uh, anyway. it was, it was. You were that discouraged from that movie?
3: Oh, uh, Listen, I, I, I drove up to the opening night theater, having just read the L.A. Times Review, and I just want to get out of town. And I want to go down to Del Mar and a little beach house there, and uh, hide, you know, and not write and just play tennis every day. And even though my attorney told me, hey, you know, you're going to get in trouble with your c- commitment with Hal to write for Dion. She's going on Warner Brothers now. New label, new album is expected to come out. And uh, I just ignored his advice very bad. So, you know, as far as responsibility and blame, it's all on me, you
4: know. Well, whatever it was, we've been friends ever since. Yeah, it
3: was just, uh, you know, I'm very happy to own that up How, you know. We should have just, again, should have, could have sat down and just said, let's write some new stuff for Dion's album. But hey, man... I don't want to write with
4: anybody. You or anybody.
0: Hell, David, did you want to give up songwriting after the movie got such bad reviews and realized no, I how could bad un- it was? I
4: could, under- I could understand why someone would, but no, I didn't. I, I, I kept writing.
0: So I thought we could close with another song, and this is a song that you wrote that, that you didn't write for Promises, Promises, but it's been interpolated into the new production, and the song is, I Say a Little Prayer. And I thought we'd use Aretha Franklin's 1968 recording of it. Um, great record. Yeah, yeah. Were you amazed to hear her record this?
3: It's a better record than the record we, we made. We did,
4: yeah. I mean, we and we did a great record, but she topped it.
0: Oh, oh yeah. Why is this one better?
4: Well, uh, You'll hear it. It's more natural. It's <laughs> yeah. just
3: more natural. We were talking about bar changes, time changes. When the chorus uh, forever forever staying in my heart and I you know that's going four four three four 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 three four then regard the way it was treated by Aretha because Aretha just makes it seamless the transition going from one change to another change you never notice it
0: okay it's been really an honor to speak with you both thank you so much for doing this
3: hey good talking good to good you. talk to you thank you
0: I recorded that interview with songwriters Burt Backrack and Hal David in 2010. Backrack died last week. He was 94. Hal David died in 2012 at the age of 91. Coming up, an interview I recorded with Backrack and Elvis Costello. They began collaborating on songs in the 90s. I'm Terry Gross, and this is Fresh Air. Remembering songwriter and arranger Burt Backrack. he died last Wednesday. He was 94. With his longtime songwriting partner, lyricist Hal David, Bachrach wrote many pop hits of the 60s and early 70s, including The Look of Love, Walk on By, Anyone Who Had a Heart, Don't Make Me Over, I Say a Little Prayer, and Alfie. In 1998, 12 years earlier than my interview with Bachrach and Hal David, I spoke with Bachrach and Elvis Costello, who had begun collaborating together. The two would have been unlikely collaborators in the 70s when Backrack was famous for his harmonically and rhythmically complex, highly orchestrated pop songs, and newcomer Elvis Costello was performing unpolished, high-energy pub rock. This unlikely duo was formed when they were asked to co-write a song for the film Grace of My Heart. They continued to write songs together. Next month, a collection of their songs will be released on a box set called The Songs of Backrack and Costello. When I spoke with them in 1998, they just released an album of their songs called Painted from Memory, featuring Costello singing, with Bacharach conducting the orchestra and playing piano. Elvis Costello, what have you learned from working with Burt Bacharach about the construction of songs, about uh, uh, harmonics and meter and all of that?
5: Well, I obviously, you have different dispositions about uh, harmony. Um And also, I mean, I've always been intrigued by Bert's use of uneven meter, um, and I can't say I've imitated it, but I've found myself doing it. I think if you're not a particularly schooled musician, you might do it in a very natural way. And I think the reason that those odd bars now and again in Bert's compositions work so effectively is because they're never done with self-consciousness. They're done to enhance the naturalistic way in which people express themselves. Uh, uh, I think it, it mirrors the way we speak or the way we think in... Uh, uneven uh, phrases. We don't think all exactly in 4-4, four, four. Um, and therefore, you know, we, we confide and then we suddenly blurt something out. Well, I think that that's where the passion lies in, in his compositions. I've
3: tried to never do it yeah. for effect a, a or just never different. seems for effect, you know? I mean, sometimes I got a little bit uh, perplexed when I tried to write it down and suddenly realized, oh my God, it's a 7-8 bar, yeah. you know? I... But it I feels only... natural when we
5: perform. Um, Anyone had a heart? I never think yeah. twice about uh, right. what it what it is. I mean, we've been performing some of Burt's songs, that contain, and there are some aspects of them. In mean, my thief, has a bar of five four in, right. f- in the first verse, in each you know, in each of the <laughs> opening verse, and
3: uh, it, it never it doesn't seem unnatural. You know? Well, we want to not only make it feel natural for you, the comfort level, uh, mm. as songwriters, but also that listening audience out there. That's not gonna. See that as a pimple going by. That by yeah, four, going to bar. throw them
5: on another foot, and you know it's not as if we're making dance records. But they should. We're not. Be.
3: <laughs> 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 we're not. Now you tell me all this. Oh no! You said, "Come on, we're gonna." After God gives us <laughs> strength, it'll all be like dancing. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, um, when I like, for instance, listen to "Promises, Promises." I never thought to myself, "Gee, what a tricky set of uh, signature time signature changes." But and the sheet music—if you look at the sheet music, the, the the line "Promises," those kind of promises take all the joy from life. There's one bar of three-quarter, followed by a bar of four-quarter, followed by a bar of six-quarter, then three-quarter, four-quarter, then six-quarter. And then, promises, promises, my kind of promises, that's three-quarters, three-eighths, and then four-eighths. I mean, who even sees three-eighths in <laughs> shape music? So, Bert Backrack, these, these kind of shifts just come into your mind, and then you write them down, and, and that's when you realize how how tricky they are?
3: Well, I think that was driven, yeah, that certainly was driven by the intensity of what that had to say theatrically on stage. And right, because that was
0: written for the show Promises, Promises. Right.
3: So it had to have a drive of its own.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And, um, yeah, I heard it, played it, and started to notate it, write it down. Oh, my goodness, we got a 3-8 bar. And here comes another 3-8 bar, because it can't be a 6-8 bar, putting the two together. It's a 3-8, it's a 3-8, it's a 4-8. And even when I'm doing it, like, um, with a symphony orchestra now, um, try to get them to think um, to add one thing instead of just counting the three 8 three, eighth, four eight, um, to hear what the girls are singing or hear the musical content rather than reading those eighth notes and go promises, promises, and one. So right there, that takes care of your uh, your seven eight bar. You see, promises, promises, and one. But if they don't sing in their head, that, I mean the background voices, and the strings are playing, da-ba-da-ba-da-da, see? The girls are going, promises, promises. And the trumpet players have to come in one beat later, so it'd be, promises, promises, ba but if they can hear in their head, promises, promises, and one, if they count that way, it's a breeze. It's simple. <laughs> That's and a music
5: lesson for you, see? Of course, the symphony
3: orchestra sometimes would look at me with great dismay and say, what is this man saying? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is the kind of stuff that you can uh,
5: everyday work together throws up. You know, um, obviously yeah. we to go back to your question about ha- harmonics uh, uh, or harmony, I should say. The the I mean, I've written a good degree of music down, particularly when I've worked with mu- musicians from the classical and jazz field who are more used to the written page. But uh, when it comes to popular song. Of course, working in a rock band, you hardly ever write anything down. It's sometimes a string, a string overlay of a, of a, a rhythm section, but the rhythm section parts, the chord progressions are very simple, and you don't. It would be stupid to write them down. They're, they're too easy to remember. You would inhibit yourself in the communication.
0: Well, Bert um, Backrack, what influenced you harmonically? What music were you listening to that you think formed your basic, you know, musical harmonic mind? I
3: think. Um when I did get interested in music, it certainly was um, the French Impressionist, it was, um, Ravel, Debussy, and Rachmaninoff. And um, suddenly to hear what was going on in the, the world of jazz, opposed to the world of jazz that I knew before, coming from listening to the Dorsey Band or Harry James. And suddenly somebody opened this giant door and there was Tizzy Gillespie and Tad Dameron and Charlie Parker, the monk. It was like another light years away.
0: And why do you think that uh, rather than um, becoming, say, a, a bop musician or a bop composer or arranger, you went into pop instead?
3: Oh, I, I, I don't think I would have ever been a good enough jazz pianist, bop pianist. Um, you know, I was influenced by it. But uh, the same reason I never became a serious classical composer, starting with... Uh, Darius Milo and and Henry Cowell. It was a learning process. I liked the music, appreciated the music. I always felt that if I pursued it, you know, I'd be writing maybe on a commission from a symphony that I'd hear the work two years later. I'd have to supplement my income by... or make money teaching at a university. Uh, It's a hard row, you know. I like... um, I like a nice place to live in, and I wasn't going to get it that way. Um, I like the comfort level a little too too high. And the other thing is, I just didn't want to do it enough. (laughs) Right, right. Maybe that's the biggest, but there'll never be a regret coming from me, you see, where I'll say, oh, God, it'd just been different. If I'd written that one great symphony, well, that's, that's off the list. That doesn't, that's just... fabrication in my mind for me to ever say I had one regret that my mother was so disappointed because Leopold Stokowski asked me to write a piece years ago probably when Promises Promises was out there and uh I was commissioned by the American Symphony and you know they said we'll premiere it in three years and I was used to the gratification you know of uh write a song go into the studio (laughs) make the record and hear it on the way home um hear it on the way home or the next morning when you turn on the radio. Three years. That's a long time, isn't long it? Long time. And I i took a pass, and I was fine taking a pass on it. But, um, but she was my, disappointed. My, my mother was very disappointed. Yeah.
0: Let me play um, God Give Me Strength, which was the song that you first collaborated on um, for for the movie Grace of My Heart. And it's the last track on your new CD, Painted from Memory. Do you want to say anything about writing the song before we hear it?
5: Uh, if anybody's seen Grace of My Heart, I mean, it follows the story of a songwriter who goes through all sorts of tribulations romantically. And where this song appears in the story, it had to fulfill a certain role. So that actually helped us, I think, in getting our collaboration started. Mm-hmm. It got us past the... You know, we might have said, right, right, we're going to write all songs about pomegranates or something. You know, I mean, could have taken an abstract idea, you know. It, it, uh, instead of which, we had a very, very definite framework and once we'd created that song, particularly after we recorded it six months later for the end titles, initially just for the end titles, uh, I think it was inevitable that we would, we would write more songs together. It just felt too good, and the experience of recording together felt too good. And I, I, I hope you can hear that in the record. It's, the record starts so gently. I, it's the quietest record I'd ever made up to that point, but think where it, think where it, it, it ends up. It also has one of the biggest crescendos of any record I've I've appeared on. Right. And not a record that comes in, you know, and gives you everything about it in the first uh, four to eight bars, but something that really develops. And then to be in the studio with, singing with the rhythm section and then to hear the orchestration added to that, it's absolutely a thrill, you know, it's still a thrill when I hear it. So, God, give me strength. Cause I'm weak in a way. And if I'm strong, I might still break. And I don't have anything to shed. But I won't. Our last chance of happiness. So God give me strength.
1: God give
5: me strength.
0: As God give me strength, originally written for the movie Grace of My Heart, now featured on Elvis Costello and Burt Bacharach's CD, Painted from Memory. God Give Me Strength opens with a lovely flugelhorn line. Mm-hmm. And Burt Bacharach, I mean, your arrangements are filled with flugelhorns and trumpets. I mean, uh, there's so many songs of yours where that's just, uh, I've come to think of it as a, as a signature. I was wondering if you ever played trumpet or, you know, why, why you hear trumpets in, in so many of your songs.
3: It's a very expressive instrument, and... Um, you know, for a singular... It's it's one of the few instruments when I, I could, say, make make a statement to set up on an intro or a figure. It speaks more vocal than, like, a flute would have, or a clarinet, or a saxophone is a little bit of another picture. Um, but I used to write dummy lyrics on flugelhorn parts, just on introduction things. Just so they weren't just notes. So the flugelhorn player would be able to see the note, sing the note, even though it made no sense. It, it was a lyric, but it made no sense. But it just had the right, the right sound, uh, vocally, vowel-wise, for that right note. Trumpet players in the, um, in the original times when we were recording it, until they got to know me, thought I was nuts. <laughs> but there is something about it, you know. Just say, sing it.
0: So, Bert Backrack, I want to get back to the idea that you often have a dummy lyric in your head when you're writing a melody, or even when you're just writing an instrumental line um, in 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 the arrangement. Can Can Don't you give just... me an example of a song that you wrote a dummy ly- lyric for, just on the trumpet line?
3: Say, I had a figure that went, but dum, bum, dum, ba dum. Okay. And that was trumpet gonna play then. Now, rather than just notate it that way, I might write something I'm very big with putting hold on on. I like that expression. It just kind of fits a lot of different figurations. So that could have just been hold on and I'll be there. Now, you say, in the hands of a, uh, a good flugelhorn player, he'll get that. He'll understand that. He 'll understand that better because to understand it 's not how long you hold a note because it's notated, a dotted eighth note, sure that's how it will probably speak, but he understand if you sang it just where you release that note.
0: I want to play another record here, and I thought um that we'd play the Elvis Costello version. Of the Burt Backrack Hal David song, I just don't know what to do with myself. Oh my God! And uh, <laughs> this is a great song, and there's there's great recordings of it. Elvis, your I love your version of it, and then um, there's of course the Dusty Springfield version, which is a classic. And uh, on the new Rhino box set, um, it, it it also features the the original version of the song by by Tommy Hunt. So before we hear all three versions, uh, Bert Backrack, would you tell us about writing the song?
3: Uh. In the bro-building days, where Hal and I would work every day, we had a whole roster of um, scepter artists that were potentially artists to record. And uh, I guess that was going to be either for Chuck Jackson or for Tommy Hunt. And um, I went in, wrote the orchestration, made the record with Tommy. And uh, that was the initial record. I liked the record. Um, I liked the way he sang, too. So... You know, every other record afterwards is a different record in a way than what um, what the original was. Mm -hmm. I mean, they might be better, but you know, they can't. the The original often comes right out of the bed with me.
0: Well, right now, why don't we hear? I just don't know what to do with myself. And first, we'll hear Tommy Hunt, then Dusty Springfield, then Elvis Costello.
5: I just don't know what to do with myself Don't know just what to do with myself I'm
4: so used to doing everything with you Planning
2: everything for two And now that
5: we're through, I just just
2: don't don't know know what to do with my time, I'm so lonesome for you, it's a crime. Like a summer road
0: That was three versions of the Burt Bacharach, Hal David song, I Just Don't Know What to Do With Myself, sung by Tommy Hunt, Dusty Springfield, and Elvis Costello. We'll hear more of my 1998 interview with Burt Backrack and Elvis Costello after a break. This is Fresh Air. It seems to me your career started in really opposite places. Elvis Costello, you started in, in pubs. In England, and Bert Backrack, you started being music director for people like Vic Damone and the Ames Brothers, Joel Grey, then Marlena Dietrich, and you were in, like, the big nightclubs.
3: Yeah, but I was in bars, too, at first. Were you? I had a, I had a job playing in, in New York City, and up in Cape Playhouse Restaurant, got fired. Wow, that hurt. Why'd you got get fired? fired? Maybe they didn't like the way, I. maybe I didn't have a big enough repertory to know all the Rodgers and Hart songs and... Vernon Duke, so I mean, I don't know why I got fired. It really hurt. Huh. I thought I played well enough. I couldn't come home. I was in high school or something. <laughs> up in the <laughs> cave. So I took a lesser job in a lesser club, uh, and got lobster every Tuesday night and very little money and didn't get fired.
0: <laughs> but but Backrack, I'm wondering what you learned from um, watching Marlena Dietrich perform. What you learned about what songs went over with an audience and, 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 and how people put songs across to an audience
3: Well, that, that she, helped you she, later
0: in your career as a, as a composer?
3: I don't know that I learned things about like what songs were. I did understand the theater of it all with Marlena, uh-huh. uh, how she drove for every detail until it was perfect. I mean, we would go into the, the Olympia Theater in Paris, rehearse an orchestra for eight days, you know. This orchestra is over-rehearsed by the second day. What you do with an orchestra to keep them going for eight days? <laughs> but, but to do the song goes, see what the voice, over and over again by the sixth day. So you just had to keep Particularly them Particularly a Parisian orchestra. I bet that was yeah, real that fun. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. At, good at, really good. At. And in <laughs> Russia, too. I mean, if just... She'd stand in front of a light and be lit and call the directions... Standing rigid there for like four hours, five hours, until she got it exactly the way she wanted.
0: What was it like for you when you started writing for for rhythm and blues acts and rock and roll performers after working, you know, for older performers uh, and for older audiences and in, in, in clubs? You know, cause well, when, when you started writing, I mean, you know, people like um, the Shirelles, you know, the Drifters, Jerry Butler. I mean, this yeah, yeah. is such a a real. Well, all the distance. time I was all
3: the time I was really. Uh, conducting for whether it was Victimone or the Ames Brothers, I was always thinking, i got to try to write some songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is what I should maybe, really maybe do. Um, and um, so I was still writing songs. I was writing songs when I was conducting for Dietrich. I'd be somewhere in Warsaw, and uh, and the Charles record was sitting at number four in the country or something. And mm. It would make, if you really looked at it and looked at the kind of material I was doing with Dietrich, and the kind of musical stuff that was coming out there, and hearing Jerry Butler doing Make It Easier and himself at the same time, or Chuck Jackson, it made no sense at all, it was like a 360 degree turn, from go see for the boys, <laughs> 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 to I just don't know what to do, you know. So,
5: there's something in there though somewhere isn't there don't you think out of the whole we've talked about this before and I don't know I wouldn't put you on the spot but I mean I'd say there's bits of anyone who had a heart and, and, sure, and, and what's your pussycat you know what's your pussycat could be could, could come right come out of come from a Germany. Kurt, Kurt yeah.
3: wow sure yeah. th- I it, all, it,
5: it all comes out there somewhere somewhere along the line maybe a couple of years later
3: you know it's it's possible I just remember playing the Olympia once uh, with, with Dietrich and Quincy Jones coming backstage
5: yeah.
3: you know and I was having hits yeah. and Quincy was my friend, came backstage she said, what are you doing, man? (laughs) What are you doing? (laughs) I said, well, listen, Q, she's great. I get to see the world. She trusts me. It's a challenge for me conducting this orchestra, making her sound as good as I can make her sound. It's about music.
0: Well, I want to thank you both so much for talking with us. It's really been great fun. Thank you very, very much. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Bert Bachrach and Elvis Costello recorded in 1998 after they released an album of songs they co-wrote called Painted from Memory. They continued to write songs together. A collection of their songs will be released March 3rd called the Songs of Bachrach and Costello. Bert Bachrach died last week. He was 94. How lucky we are to have all the songs he gave us. Tomorrow on Fresh Air, our guest will be film and TV costume designer Ruth E. Carter. She won an Oscar for the Black Panther. Now she's nominated for Best Costume Designer for the sequel, Wakanda Forever. She did Spike Lee's early films, Do the Right Thing and School Days, and was nominated for an Oscar for his Malcolm X and for Spielberg's Amistad. I hope you'll join us. I'm Terry Gross. <laughs> If you see me
1: walking down the street, and I start to cry, each time we meet, walk on by, walk on by, make believe that you don't see the tears, just let me grieve in private, cause each time I see you, I'll break down